Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. I am Pierce Dietrich. You can find me on Twitter at racefortheprize.com. If you want to get access to this spreadsheet and many others and a lot of lap-by-lap data, practice data, go to racefortheprize.com, dfsnotes.com. Simply to get the information, really all you have to do is PayPal me, Venmo me, or cash at me some money. Give me your email address and I'll give you access for the month. For details, go to racefortheprize.com. Again, simply Venmo, PayPal, cash at me some money. And then give me your email address, and I'll add you to the folder, and you get access to the spreadsheet. You can look at this L.A. Clash 2023 lap-by-lap data, among many other data points. Today, we'll do a quick preview of the Los Angeles Coliseum Clash, the preseason race, the exhibition race. This is our third annual running of the event. Last year got pretty hairy. And we will look into previous off the lines. We'll just dig through the data. This is really my first run through. I've aggregated, collected a lot of the data, did some updates, went through some of it myself, watched the race again on the YouTubes. I always recommend doing that to get a good style and feel for the race, and specifically the LA Clash, because this race definitely does have a style to it. It's an exhibition race, it's a short track race, it's hard to pass, it gets Pretty, pretty hairy. And I would imagine, again, this season it's going to get pretty, pretty hairy. And that can make lineups volatile. That can lead to unique lineups coming through. It can lead to, to different strategies. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to just play all guys in the back either. We'll look at previous awesome lineups because you could get lap leaders in Hog. You could also get a lap leader who is set to win you some money. And then late in the race, he just gets dumped or has a bad restart and then gets dumped and then loses five or six positions at the very end just because he gets a little bit on the outside. It's a hairy race. It's a obnoxious race. I don't know. You just want to try to have some fun. The drivers are out there trying to have some fun and really getting under each other's skin. Anyway, let's look at the LA Clash data. One more time, raceforthepriz.com if you want to get access to the fantasy NASCAR data. Before we do that, let's look at the Clash format this season, and the Clash format is as such. There will be four heat races. The grids for the four heat races, which will qualify you in to the main event, are determined by practice, which consists of three practice sessions. So if you are the first, you're the fastest in all of practices, then in heat one, you start first. If you were the second fastest car in all the practice sessions, then you start first in heat two. If you were the third fastest, then you start, and you can see it on your screen. So if you're fast in practice, that's going to put you in a good starting position for the heat race to qualify for the main race. So practice is important. Heat racing is important. And that gets you in, um, obviously, heat racing is important. But practice, you got to get out there and lay down some fast laps because that's basically for all intense and purposes qualifying practice is qualifying we have four heat races obviously these races favor starting position so you lock that in through practice you're going to pretty much be locked in in the race you come in and you struggle in practice you're going to start your heat race for the back and that's no bueno you could find yourself in the last chance qualifier so we can't really say who specifically is going to be in the la clash because Anyone can be in and anyone can be out. And there is one spot reserved for last year's highest scoring NASCAR driver if he is unable to be fast in practice and fast as he. And then you have the 150 lap race, 
separated in the middle. Just to give you an idea of some of the hairiness, here he is, just Bo Wallace. I got dumped by Austin Dillon. And he did. Bo Wallace had a really good night. Wallace scored a bunch of points. He got dumped near the end. Flat out, pure and simple. There was tons of dumping, tons of spending, tons of three wide. All give, no take. Now, in the defense of Austin Dillon, which often pains me to do, but here's the thing. If Austin Dillon is on your bumper, he can be nice and say, all right, I'm not going to spin him. But guess what's going to happen to Austin Dillon as Austin Dillon has to slow down not to bump and push Bubba Wallace. The car behind him is going to put, although, that, well, in theory, the car behind him is going to put the bumper to Austin Dillon. And that's what he says, sort of. He has a really poor way of saying it. He says, I hate it for Bubba. He had a good car and a good run, but you, you can't tell who's either putting him or you can't tell who's pushing him or getting pushed. What he's trying to say is, if you're not doing the pushing, you're going to get pushed, you're going to get spun, so we got to make a decision. Now, not in his defense. The car that was behind him was another RCR car, so he was protected. He didn't necessarily have to move Bubba. Nonetheless, it happened, and it happened all throughout. And I'll give you a quick glance at that by looking at the lap by lap data. First part of the race, now, oh, 15 laps before caution. 15 laps, quick off quite quickly at this super teeny tiny track. I think, oh, that's a pretty good green flag run. It is, but it lasts about 30 seconds because they're around the track in, what, like 15 seconds, if, if not faster. So, either way, though, in comparison, stage one to stage two, or the first half to the second half, the first half of the race was awfully green. The second half, as you can see, with these yellow boxes on lap 73, 75. Well, 73 is the end of the stage. So then 75, straight out of the gate in the second half. People say, all right, now it's time to turn it on. Didn't even wait a half a lap. That should have been a big red flag. It should have been a big sign that the drivers in the next-gen car were kind of taking it easy in the first half of the race, biding their time. And then when we go through the break and Liz Khalifa, whoever played their song, they come out like, all right, now we're going to really start driving. And when they really start driving, you get a caution on lap 76, 78, 81, 85, 86. Get a little bit of a green flag run. Then we get closer again after people cool down. 106, 109, 113, 140, 143. So a ton of cautions in this race. And remember, when you run caution laps in this race, they don't count. So every caution stops the race. Makes it for an awfully long race. This could be the quickest race ever. This could also be the longest race ever. And you could see with, you know, Clint Boyer in the booth. The good tandem of Boyer and Tony Stewart, by the way. Boyer, like, we got to get this race over. Come on, guys. I got some drinking plans up in L.A. Actually, I don't know. They say that people don't go out at night in L.A. I wouldn't know anything about it. So we look at the laps, we get an idea of the runs. Now, like I told you, Austin Dillon ends up finishing second ahead of his teammate at RCR. And poor old Bob Wallace, after having a terrific night, ends up in 22nd. And I'm sure that killed some fantasy lamps right there. Bubba, according to the data, 125 of the 150 laps, 83%. Second most, 
inside the top five and finishes 22nd. Worth repeating, because you're going to need to know that when you're building your DFS lineups at DraftKings. 125 of 150 laps, 83%. Second most. 143 of 150 in the top 10. Fifth most. Finishes 22nd. There will be bumpers, there will be spins. It's going to happen. That was probably the toughest beat of all if you were a believer in Bubba Wallace starting in the top 10, getting knocked out. Let's just look at some of these runs to get an idea of lack of passing in this race, maybe who was able to make some passes. And if you're making passes, I mean, you're running three wide, you're dive bombing, you're putting the bumper to the people, you're spinning people out. You have to be aggressive. If you're passive, you're not going to get there. So if we watch the first run, I'm roll on the pole, stays up front, next restart, he loses it. That's really the place to make your move. When you get a restart, either you just get more aggressive, you get a better jump than somebody, somebody dive bombs the guy in the pole and you start on the outside row, that's where you can get some changes. So it's not impossible. You're going to see different people lead laps in this race, especially with the spins and the cautions. You don't really pit for anything, but it does reset the field. It does bring everybody back together. So I, I think it's hard to imagine that in this year's race, someone's going to completely run away with it. If we do get a green flag run, yeah, the leader gets moving. But, hey, it doesn't take very long for the leader to catch traffic. And then once the leader catches traffic, the guys getting lapped aren't going to move, not in the next exhibition race. So that means the rest of the guys are going to catch right back up to you, and they're going to put the bumper to you. And that's an easy way to lose the lead if we get a long run. So this race actually kind of works in theory that no one could really run away with it because they can't really run away. It's too short. You're going to catch the back of the pack and then the rest of the pack is going to catch you. You'll see, you know, halfway through like this short run here, Almirola will separate and he'll be in a very safe spot. And he'll get away from two, three, four, and five who are banging against each other. And he'll look pretty good. Until he catches the last driver, then two, three, four, and five come right back to him, and all bets are off. So there's really no way, shouldn't be a way, for one driver to completely run away at the race and score a bunch of points. There will be a guy who scores the most points, but stinking up the show just doesn't seem likely. You get a 20-lap run, theoretically, it's just not going to work out. Now, maybe at the end of the race, so people are just like ready to go home then the back of the pack may be a little more uh, concessional, is that a word? And give up their spots, concede it to you, let you move on through. Anyway, I'm roll up front. You do see a little movement here. Obviously, you're going to see some bumps and changes. Anyone making big moves, we do have Alex Bowman falling back. And you say, oh, what's wrong with Alex Bowman? Often is the case in this race that when you lose one spot, you get pushed to the outside, and you lose four spots. So hand dropping four to eight simply could just be one bad move. You're on the outside. It's not like, oh, he's dropping. He can't really drive. You lose spots in bunches in these types of races when you get on the outside of the freight train. For the most part, when you're looking at this data, it's all pretty static. No big movers, no big shakers. Again, you got Prime Priest having a pretty good night. 
overall it doesn't end out well for him, but he's making some moves. He's aggressive enough. He's slowly climbing. But again, a lot of the big movements is going to be one bad move that then you lose uh, a ton of positions. You can see right here, again, Alex Bowman on the next run is able to get a lot of those spots right back. We don't see much movement up here. Again, here it is. Eric Amarola, you get pushed to the outside, and then you drop a bunch of spots, which, again, makes it really hard to target a lap leader or a fast lap driver, knowing that, you know, it's not easy to pilot fast laps, laps led, and then you lose them all in a big chunk, which then, if you get enough cautions, you can get them all back. But if you lose that chunk at the end, that's negative seven place differential, and it completely erases all of your fast lap laps led gains. And I'm not going to go through the complete race. You can see this data all on your own. And you can see here where when we do get green flag runs, yeah, the leader does pretty much pull away with it. But one could argue that eventually the back of the pack could cause some problems. But for the most part, we do see the leader hanging on, holding on. We also see these leaders eventually losing a bunch of points. Let's look at some past optimal lineups. We'll really just look at last year's optimal lineup. I think it's the best representation of what we saw. Most fantasy points. Let's see if I can get it all on one screen here. What do you think? Let's get it all on one screen, buddy. Again, it's just like a live show that I do. Not too much prep for it. Maybe I should do more prep. Yeah, you definitely should. This stinks. I'm going to dislike your video again. Yeah, I know, dude. I know who you are. You dislike every one of my videos. It's fair enough. Sometimes it's worth disliking. All right. That looks better. You can see I'll line up on the right side of the screen. I just listened to the audio version only. It was Ryan Priest, Martin Tricks Jr., Austin Dillon, Kyle Larson, Alex Bowman and Kyle Busch, all of them finished seventh or better. Again, Priest, Truex, Dylan Larson, Bowman, Bush, all finished seventh or better. Brian Priest scores the most fantasy points. Nine place differential, six fast lap, 11 laps led. Finishes in seventh, could have easily been a winner, just didn't work out for him. So, yes, you have a hog or a dominator in this race in the optimal lineup. Number two, Mark Trix Jr. in this 150-lap race. No place differential. He starts up front, but he scores six fast lap points, six lap sled points, and wins the race. So, he checks the box in terms of finishing position bucket points. He fills them as high as anyone can. He checks the box in terms of hog points or dominator buckets with 12 points. He is unable to fill up his place differential bucket. He never had access to that being his starting position. But that is a concession that he and DFS players should be willing to make when making picks. You're going to come in with three buckets and saying, can my driver fill up each of the three buckets. Those are place differential points bucket, ching ching, cash all those in, your hog point. Not everyone has access to this bucket either. 
And then last, you have your finishing position bucket, which is equitable when anyone has access to this bucket to fill up as many gold coins into it to score points. So when you're making your picks, you're looking at those three buckets saying, all right, who can maximize their bucket potential? With Ryan, Pruitt, Ryan Priest, he had access to all three. Now, did you think you could fill up the place differential bucket? Yeah, you could. Could he get a top 10? Absolutely. Maybe even a top five. You probably thought it was unlikely that he would fill up the dominator or hog bucket, but he did. And so he poured points into all three. He comes away with a 64, which is not a lot. But again, you have to lower your expectations in this race because there are only 150 laps. So 64 is quite a lot of points in a 150 lap race. It's 64 points at $6,000. That's over 10x. Truex, different story. When you were making this pick last season, you knew he could be a hog, especially based on his track history at short flat tracks. You knew that with starting position, that gave him a better outcome or likelihood of filling up the finishing position points as well. So you're looking at those three buckets, you know the hog slash dominator bucket. Yeah, he can do that. Look at the starting position. And you knew his finishing position because these short flat tracks favor the drivers up front out of the hornet's nest. So not only do you think he could maximize the bucket, it's very probable that he could. But you also had a dead stare on that third bucket, the place differential bucket, and you knew that thing was going to stay empty. Or worse, there was going to be a hole in the bottom of it, and you're going to lose points because he fell back. So there was a bit of risk there, and you had to weigh that situation. And you will have to do the same again this season in the clash for 2024, February 4th, I think it is, you'll see a driver who is starting up front and you'll have to make the decision. I'm going to forfeit the possibility of scoring place differential points with this driver, but in doing so, because they're starting so far up front, I increase the likelihood that they can score 12 hog points along with a maximized finishing position performance. Jurex ends up with the second most fantasy points at 59 for an 8x. Austin Dillon, he's starting in 10th, so there is a good chance of place differential. Doesn't really jump out at me. He absolutely maximized his place differential bucket. He didn't get anything in his hog point bucket or his hog trough, and he finishes second though by maximizing his finishing position bucket, third most fantasy points, 51, $5,700 for 9x. Kyle Larson next on the board. Starting 14th, absolutely has access to the place differential bucket. Now, as a driver, you like his ability to run fast laps and lead laps. But starting 14th in the LA class, you say, not very likely. It's there, it's a possibility, but you cannot count on that second bucket. Third bucket, sure, finish position, you can get it done. Alex Bowman, 6,900, battles himself back up to the front, finishes fifth, start or starts fifth, finishes fourth, so obviously starting in the first three rows. He clearly has some sort of speed, has clearly demonstrated during practice and the heat races that he knows how to get around the track. Uh, he does have that Martinsville win in the past and a Richmond win in the past, so he's not completely foreign to short track racing. Obviously, Hendrick has decent cars. So, this finishing position bucket, 
it's there. Uh, he's up front, so you know he could get some poke points possibly. Although he doesn't, he does not have access to place differential, but he comes in a little bit cheaper at sixty nine hundred. Wasn't slam dunk play by any means. And then last, you have Kyle Busch's first ever race with RCR at ninety one hundred dollars. Starts sixth, finishes third. Somewhat has access to the three buckets. I mean, definitely the finishing position bucket. Not really the place differential bucket. He's close enough to the front that he's able to get some fast laps and laps left points. He doesn't really do that. And you're up in line up there is the top six scores, and you leave $5,500 on the table. That's a key point. That's worth noting. The optimal DFS NASCAR lineup in the LA Clash in 2024 left 5,500. Small sample size, but we do have the previous year to look at for that as well. And I can show you that the 2023 optimal DFS NASCAR lineup, the LA Clash, left $5,100 on the table. So clearly, you're not going to need to spend all of your money. And this is not like, oh, well, that's just a two-year fluke. No, the reality is it's a unique, obscure race, and DraftKings just doesn't have a really good way of pricing it, especially since starting grids are going to be set based on the heat races. NASCAR has to release salaries early in the week. The only time NASCAR's really been ahead of the game was when they were able to set salaries because they had the qualifying early in COVID. We knew a week ahead. Even then, they've done a pretty good job based on data, but there is just no way you can set races for prices for an ex- exhibition race at the beginning of the season without any data, with all the changes. And then that specific race is also set by heat races. And those heat races set up the starting grid, which heavily favors specific dry, heavy favors the front. And at the same time, there's enough spins and wrecks that you're going to get cheap place differential guys who may not necessarily drive well at these short tracks that just simply survive and through attrition work their way to the front. That being said, everything aligns, the stars align for there to be $5,000 left on the table. Again, not to be repetitive, but we want to hammer this point home. And I'm not saying don't spend all of your money. You can. It is fine. But it is impossible for DraftKings to get the salaries right. It's impossible because the race is heavily dependent on the starting grid, which is set via practice and qualifying well after practice has come out. And anyone could do well in practice and qualifying because this is the very first race of the season. We just don't know how that will work out. And then the next big point is it's a hairy race. I showed you a lot of the cautions, spins. And when you lose a spot by spinning, sometimes you lose four spots. Sometimes you gain four spots. And we see drivers who are not necessarily good at short track that just win or move forward because of others' mistakes or because of others' misfortune or simply just through attrition. All those things happen. And if you were to ask me right now, yes, I would. I don't even care about the salary. I'm just going to make my plays and then see, oh, how much money do I have left over? I'll say that again. I'm not going to be that conscious of salary. Now, you might say, well, whatever. But that's a really big deal. When you are playing DraftKings in every single sport, you're always conscious of salary. You're always thinking about that constraint. 
even if you think you're not, you are. You're looking at high price and low price and thinking two steps ahead. Well, if I take this guy, then I can't take that guy. That's not going to be anywhere near my thought process. It will not be in my conscious. It will be completely distant from me. I'm just going to pick the drivers that I like, the drivers that I believe ran well in practice, the drivers that look decent and heat qualifying. And then I will look at starting position to get an idea of, can this guy finish up here, maybe lead up laps? Can this guy possibly move forward? And I'm not going to look at the guys that could possibly move forward by saying, well, how much do they cost? You could, and I hate going down this route, but, and I'm sure you're going to hear this on a lot of other places. When you're making those picks, if salary is not a constraint or really something that we're going to focus on that much, then one of the things that people are going to do is, all right, I'm looking at the drivers up front who could possibly leave laps run fast laps. And you can A, watch racing, watch the practice, and have an idea of who you believe really knows what they're going to do. Or B, well, who's everybody else playing? I'm going to play the guy that no one else is playing. Where's the ownership? I'm going to go with the ownership. That's fine. I don't think that makes for an interesting podcast here or when the LA Clash stuff comes up where we just spend the whole time talking about I'm just going to do what everyone else doesn't do. I would much rather talk about, look, this guy's really getting into the turns. This guy's coming off. This guy's data says this. Here's what he did at Richmond and Martinsville last year. Here's what he did at Phoenix last year. Here's what I like about this driver and the situation that he's in. And that's why I'm going to pick the driver that I like. Again, I'm not playing 150 lineups. And if you're playing 150 lineups, of course, you should say, all right, here's the drivers that people like. So I'm going to take the guy that's less likely to be picked who still has a pretty good starting position. Or here's the guy that people like in the back. And so I'm going to take the driver that's less liked in the back because of lower ownership and I have 150 lineups. And that's cool. But if you get 150 lineups, what are you doing a show for? That's not show material. For the shows, let's talk about drivers. Let's talk about picks. Let's talk about tracks and data and stats and moving cars around. And let's have some fun. Let's dice it up. Let's enjoy NASCAR. Let's not enjoy computer algorithms. Is that so much to ask? I know it is very selfish of me and solopsistic to want this DFS community and world to serve every one of my needs, but you want it too. When you're disliking the videos, when you hate Nami, which sometimes I deserve plenty of it, it's because I'm not catering to your needs. And I understand that it's very hard to cater to everyone. I understand that when I'm getting heat, I don't understand it when I'm giving the heat. And when I'm giving the heat, I want you to cater to my needs. I want to talk sports. I want to talk action. I want to talk dunks and passes and formations and rotations and depleted rotations and lineup switches and injury reports and who's in and who's out and who look good and who can read a defense and who cannot. Who struggles against three deep and I want to talk 11 man, 12 man, you name it. Who got called up from the minor leagues and it's $2,300 and I'm jamming him into my lineup. We got a cheap catcher. We're going to punt every night. Why are we punting this catcher and not another catcher? Let's talk umpire strike zone. Let's dig into the weeds. Let's not. Again, this is my complaint. This is my, uh, you know, 
angry, angry old man thing. I don't want to hear about ownership. I want to talk about sports. There should be like a label say, this is for 150 shows. This is for regular Joes. This is a regular Joe podcast. This is not a 150 show. This is not a game theory show. I'm not teaching you how to play chess. And I know someone out there is making the comment, because you're playing checkers, you loser. You're right. I am playing checkers. I get it. I got it. But hopefully some of this information is entertaining or it helps people make picks and influences people. If not, no big deal. But that is definitely a situation that's going to come up. You're going to have to look at it and you're going to think about it. And that's cool and that's awesome. I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to spend an hour talking about game theory. And everybody's going to play this guy because he's good. So let's play this guy because he's bad. I just, I sigh when we do that. Can't we just talk about the guy that's good? And if the people watching have a brain, they'll know that, all right, well, if everybody plays him, I can just play the other guy. And then the worst is then when we justify playing the bad guy. And then we try to find a way to reverse engineer it. We're all guilty of this at times. Raise your hand. You know it. Uh, and I used to go on and on about this. It is completely okay to make the bad pick for low ownership simply because it's the bad play. And we're talking about bad play in terms of driver skill and ability. It is not a bad play in terms of game theory. But that's fine as long as we're all willing to admit that. It's good for process. It's good for honesty. But mainly it's good for process. That you break yourself of that habit and you realize the actions that you can do. So that if it's not working, you can correct or manipulate. or Well, not manipulate. Or, or, so you can correct it or make it better. What I often see happen is, step one, everyone's playing. Let's, let's just look at perfect example here. We look at the clash from last year. Step one, Martin Church Jr. is starting second. He is a classically good short track driver. Everyone's going to play him. So then step two, everyone's playing him. Well, I'm not playing Martin Church Jr. Well, how'd that work out for you? But step three is... What step three should be. So there's step three, and this is the decision tree. So it'd be step three A or step three B. Step three A is I'm not playing him. I'm not playing him because of ownership. End of story. That's where I put my flag. There is no good reason not to play him other than I just want to hedge the field. That's fine if you went that route on the decision tree. Now, if you went 3B, this is where it gets hairy. This is where I see people going. And this leads to long-term bad play. Well, you know, he's not really that good at this short flat or, or uh, well, this is not necessarily a short flat track or this is a made up place. This isn't like him at Richmond or him at Martinsville. All these excuses just start coming out of the woodwork and you say, oh, whatever. So I'm just making excuses. No big deal. Well, here's the problem with that. When Truex wins or doesn't win, and you reflect on building your lineup, do you reflect on, I was just a game theory decision? Or do you start looking at these excuses and it all gets all convoluted and mixed up in your head and you can't really remember what you did wrong or what you did right? And also just kind of really annoying to hear someone who's clearly making a low ownership play, which is fine, then lie about it because they've been called out by just saying I'm doing a game theory thing. If you're doing game theory, do game theory. There's no shame in that. 
if you're going low ownership, like we're not saying that, oh, you just picked that guy. You don't really know NASCAR. We are not saying that. You got to get rid of that habit too because often you hear people say, well, you're just playing ownership. You don't really know NASCAR. A, who cares if you don't really know Na- NASCAR? Like, who are we to judge? Like, oh, you don't watch as many hours as I do. Cool, it's, it's great. You don't really analyze it. You don't really love it. You love her like I do. Yeah, uh, so that's kind of a stupid argument to begin with. But you get that where some people are just bigger fans than others. Like, cool, man. You know, a cookie? That's great. It's awesome. You're a super fan. Number one. Awesome. Good job. Just because someone's playing ownership doesn't mean they don't know the actual picks. It doesn't mean that they don't actually know driving. It means they know game theory. And that's smart and that's wise. It's just not really that entertaining to talk about. And I am sorry. Again, it goes back to my crusade of let's talk racing. I get it. Like, if you just want to do ownership, that's just an article. If you want to do ownership, that's just like five little notes in a spreadsheet. That's not a show. Uh, you know, let's talk this. Let's talk who we like. So there's that. That's just one of my bugaboos. So again, you just, you, the solution is you talk about the good guys and you just hope that everyone listening is, understands Oh, he didn't mention Austin Dillon. Ding, 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 ding. Right? Obviously, people are going to see Austin Dillon on the grid. So the game theory guy is going to get Austin Dillon right. The game theory is going to make some money. The game theory may bore us during the show and not give us anything of substance because the game theory guy is going to like and love everybody at different. Oh, I like him at 30%. I like him at 22.9%. I like him at pi. 3.14%. Three, seven, six, five, four. That person probably can run pile about at least 15 or 16 digits. No joke. Anyway, Austin Dillon would have been the guy because most people look at Austin Dillon and said, Look, I don't like what he's done in short tracks. I don't like what he's done in recent years. I just don't see how he's spreading the points. Yeah, he's starting close enough to the front. But how far, really, rationally, can he get? Well, He's Austin Dillon. He's jerking get pretty far if he's bumped people out of the way. Probably should have factored that into the thought process. But most people pick-wise would have liked other guys to move forward and score points. So there you go. If your driver is unliked, then you play the people that they don't like. And then, right there, that's the end of my decision tree. I don't go down 3B and say, but here's why I really like him. And if you look and see what he's done at Martinsville, although he's never really had a big day, he consistently has top 10s, top 15s, and makes up place differential, which is true. And that's not a lie. But you only conjured up that statistic because you had to. The reality was that wasn't what you thought of. And then said, oh, I'm playing Austin Dillon. You played Austin Dillon because of his ownership. Right. And so I've now done what I said I hate the most, which is spend 15 minutes talking about (laughs) game theory. That's just often the case, looking in the mirror saying, look at you, look at you. Shame, shame. You're the worst person ever. And since I am the worst person ever, I do ask a favor that you like and subscribe. Those small little things will help me feel better about myself because I'm clearly not making myself feel better about myself. Maybe you can shine a light on me, race the prize. Bit like, subscribe, sharing the videos, sharing the website, sharing my tweets at race for the prize. And speaking of sharing, 
Sharing is caring. I will share the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet and all the glorious data with you. If you simply go to racefortheprize.com, which you really don't have to do, but you can go there just to get the information so that you are hip and in step. Really, you just pull out your phone, Venmo the money over to me. The link is on racefortheprize.com, Cash App, PayPal. You send it over. It's a pretty manual. It's not a technical system. No credit cards. Nothing like that. No logging in. No automatic renewal tricks. You pay one time, I give you access one time. You pay one time, I give you access one time. It's kind of like your local bodega. Slap the money on the counter, and I give you the goods. That's how we roll. So you can see it up here. My PayPal is Pierce Dietrich. PayPal.me slash Pierce Dietrich. Venmo.com slash race for the prize. That's the number four. And then the cash app is cash.app slash money sign Pierce Dietrich. Cash app Red Bulls. What's up, Alpha Tori? I don't know if I like that. I kind of always liked Alpha Tori. Now you're just a giant cash app sponsor. How about that? So you send the money over to me. Along in the notes, the comments, or in an email, you give your email address, and then magically, as soon as I can, I will share the folder with you. And then you can have access to all the data, and you can email me whenever with all of your information and questions. You got it. Anything at all. You got it. Love, Roy Orbison. Thanks for joining me. Trip, the light's fantastic.